0: Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the finest video games of the last 30 years. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Hello there. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Good evening. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week
1: we have our number 97s,
0: but before we do that, guys, what have we been playing this week?
1: And we, we're
2: putting the emphasis on
1: we there, aren't we?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. The more pertinent question is, guys, Pikachu or Eevee?
0: I personally uh, got Pikachu.
2: I
1: got uh, Eevee. I've inadvertently ended up with both, uh, but not intentionally. <laughs> this was because of uh, Amazon's failure to deliver me the game on time. Me too. I went out and the only copy I could find was Pikachu, whereas my original pre-order was Eevee. So I have both in my house currently, but I've been playing Pikachu.
0: My Amazon uh, one still hasn't arrived. Has it not? No, it has not. I ended up going to my local game. If you want to sponsor us, please do. <laughs> I'll tweet them I I thought I could probably resist playing it If I was living in isolation But with you guys playing it as well And a handful of other friends Sort of texting me about it I was like no, 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 no No, You're Um, very
2: susceptible to peer pressure Aren't you Jonathan? I I don't know I mean you are though aren't you? Yeah no you are absolutely right Yeah (laughs)
1: I think it is it is very difficult. I mean, th- this is, um, we all knew we were buying this at launch.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And th- there'll be other ones, I'm sure, when we're kind of, we, we all come together, with talking about the same thing. But this is definitely one that we, we knew we'd be doing that.
2: Just from what I've played so far, I think it's a strong enough game that they could do one for every single generation.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: I would probably put money on them bringing out a Sinnoh one next. Which one's that? Uh, Diamond and Pearl. Ah, yes. I think it would be...
0: That would be next in the remake kind yes. of order, wouldn't it?
2: Yes, and I think if they did, it would definitely be Let's Go Riolu.
0: Yes, and what are the other what are the other darlings of that,
2: of Generation 4? Well, I guess if if they were going to establish a theme, it would be the Pikachu clones, wouldn't it? So for it would be Let's Go Riolu and Let's Go Pachirisu little oh, squirrely fellow. Oh, yeah. See, th- yeah. this
1: is where it, it all turns into kind of moonspeak for me. <laughs> because th- this is the first Pokemon game I've put any time into since Red and Blue.
0: And that's ridiculous because that was, I believe, the game that we pr- pr- I mean, pr- pretty much became friends over.
1: I, d- I think it was.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember you getting it when we were, I guess we were, were 11 in Year 7.
1: Yeah, it would have been Year 7, start of school.
0: And I'd never heard of it and you were like this is like a big deal because you got it from America. (laughs) I had, yeah. And I was watching you play it and I was just, and I remember then just losing my nut about it and just being Mm like, mum, we need, I found a number in the back of a magazine that you can order it from, America from. I got blue, you had red. We did. But my my enduring memory of your experience playing Pokemon is the fact that you could never find any of the Pokemon that you wanted because in your in the in-game computer system it just listed their names and you had given them all ridiculous nicknames. I,
1: I think I named all 151.
0: Yeah, you did. But I remember you gave the task to your dad once, who is a taxi driver, and he I think he called like your your blast toys like black cab or something.
1: Um, that's that's an amazing memory because i, I wouldn't have <laughs> recalled that but as soon as you yeah. said it like the, the memory is there like it's been yeah. dug out
2: i have a dark <laughs> confession oh God. i've never told anybody this right when i first got the game uh, i was playing through it i caught a diglet mm. and i nicknamed it condom brilliant but i put it in box 14 to hide it away because i was like, oh this is funny but also it's naughty and I feel guilty. And for some reason, I thought, what if my mum just picks up my Game Boy and starts looking through all the Pokemon on my PC? <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not risking getting into trouble over calling a Diglett condom.
0: I mean, it's remarkable that you are still alive today. How
2: how old would you have been there? I got Pokemon for my eleventh birthday. Okay.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Because because we got it we got it like a, a good year or two even before it came out in the UK. Yeah. Um. So I guess that would probably because you've right. just turned thirty. And and we're
1: rolling towards thirty-two. So what do we make of these new games then? I'm a big fan. And this is, like I said, coming from someone who hasn't played for the best part of 20 years in, in any real depth. Obviously, it plays on kind of nostalgia for me because it's it's kind of an area I recognise. It's kind of dialogue that I loosely re- recall and remember.
0: Like the boy who loves his shorts.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just like a lot of little little tiny bits like that that I still have like this flash of memory for.
0: Yeah.
1: Also, I think the stuff that they've changed and streamlined for this particular edition... I really like the new catch mechanic.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Mm. At first, I was kind of disappointed that I wasn't in these kind of wild battles and and I wasn't doing that kind of like, you know, random battle thing out out on the main map screens. Yeah. But the more you do it, it's kind of, I think it's actually more active than doing those sort of battles because you're not just hammering A to get through an encounter and get the experience and move on. You are thinking about timing. Whether you like the motion controls or not, it's something you have to actually put a bit more thought into.
0: I think for me, like, being able to see the po- the wild Pokemon in the game is something that I have wanted from the very first game. I, I just it makes me so happy.
2: It's, it's really liberating uh, yeah, as, I as mean, a mechanic because yeah. like random encounters, they've had their day. That's it's yeah. it's just not that enjoyable anymore. Yeah. It gives traversing uh, routes and caves, it gives you a sense of freedom. You can either yeah. move towards the Pokemon you want, yeah. or you can just move to the next area.
0: Because, I mean, I remember like when I played through the game before and other games and stuff like that, when you enter somewhere like Rock Tunnel or Mount Moon, mm. you think, oh, for God's sake, I can't be bothered to deal with 100 random Zubats.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's a
0: real hassle, and you think, I just want to get to the other side of this. And it means that when when, a, when like a rare Pokemon does turn up, and you see, like, all of a sudden, a chancy just pops up in Mount Moon. Yeah. I lost my shit. Oh, yeah, me oh, too. Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah.
1: I was just like, oh, it's an egg. Oh. Yeah. It does. It feels like a real event as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it really mm. does. And what I love as well is it now has more of a sense of scale than it's ever had before.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, onyxes are stupid. My, my sort of only gripe with it is that whilst the new mechanics that are in I really, really like, there's a whole bunch of new mechanics that have sort of been introduced into the series over the last seven generations that are not in this now. Because mm. it wouldn't it doesn't fit in this map and this the way this the, the game is structured. And I miss a lot of those, and especially from the lot from the last games, the Sun and Moon games, they really introduced they introduce some new things to really kind of change the the whole sort of system of the game and streamline it and yeah, I do kind of miss those. Well, I'm just it,
2: glad HMs are gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, finally. They're done with yeah, like yeah. entirely. Oh, I love the way they did them they did like that in Sun and Moon though, with it like was... ride Pokemon. I love that. And it's, it's essentially is what they're doing in this which is really nice yeah i think if 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 it wasn't for the fact that there was a new catching system it would feel really quite dated i think
2: it's nice that they they've integrated it into pokemon go as well because yeah. i've just started this research quests yeah um, to get the registeel's crap brother
0: meltan the little cog boy
2: mel yeah meltan and mel metal yeah yeah reggie
1: car little cold lad Coglad.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um. Meccano head.
0: Exactly. Professor Coglington. <laughs> I've, I've certainly enjoyed, I mean, I've been enjoying Pokemon Go. I had, a, I mean, I had the best, some of the best like two weeks of gaming ever when Pokemon Go first came out I know, me and I mean, New Minty, we were wandering around Cardiff in the middle of the night like with up like what felt like most of the city doing the same thing, and it was—it was, it was just
2: fantastic. The
0: closest the world has ever come to like true world harmony. Yeah, but then I didn't really play it until like about six months ago, and I started again.
1: I think the the sense, like you say, of kind of just common unity around the start of Pokemon Go was a genuine global phenomenon, and I, I can't remember the last time where people from kind of like all age groups or interest groups were we, were together over something. And for it to be something that we
0: cared about as well,
1: yeah, like- yeah, that was the, that was the strangest thing. Some, suddenly being like vindicated. Having something you're interested in be vindicated on that sort of level was was quite scary in a way.
0: It's really nice to have the 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 Pokeball because I got the Pokeball Plus, and to have that kind of integrated with Pokemon Go and to be able to sort of like take stuff out and it's it made me you know like like with Pokemon Go did initially made me sort of a lot more um, eager to be active and if I get the opportunity to walk somewhere I'll be like oh yeah I'm definitely going to do that because I've got my Pokeball Plus and I can take it out and feel like you know because because I want to be the very best.
2: Yeah, it it gives some impetus to the journey as opposed to just a series of hurdles until you get to your destination.
0: Exactly. And that is life.
2: (laughs) But to go back to your initial question, this week I've been playing Rogue Legacy. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) Tell us about Rogue Legacy. I don't know what one of them is.
2: It's like a wholesome Castlevania, but instead of just being a single Belmont for the whole game, um, every time you die... And, of course, it is permadeath because it's a roguelike. You start a new game and you are your, the last hero that you played as. You are their child. But you have three children to choose from. And they all have different traits and conditions. Some notable ones are, in addition to their different classes, like your rogue, your warrior, um, your, your mage, etc., etc., they would have different traits. Like, um, some might have no pulse in their feet so they don't trigger floor traps.
0: That's what, yeah, that, yeah, because of science.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is explained in the game because um uh, the spike traps in this uh, this this crazy castle, they use a pulse to distinguish between uh the living and the dead.
1: That is the type of lore that we are a big fan of here. Exactly. Oh, Absolutely yeah. just yeah. dripping in
2: science-rich lore. Mm. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a really nice game. It's got plenty of replayability. I think I've beaten maybe two of the five bosses in the game and the upgrade system is, is is really good. It feels like a nice, a nice game to just play in between games because a run can last from anywhere between five minutes to like an hour and a half, depending on how good you are or how good the game is against you. But yeah, I've been having a really nice time with it.
0: Lovely, lovely. Pokemon's taken up most of my time this week, although I did finish... Dark Souls, and then went straight back in and started playing New Game Plus.
1: It continues to go, doesn't it? It's a game that's just, you can New Game Plus, 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 Plus.
0: It goes up to plus, well, plus uh, plus seven it caps out at when it stops getting... That's when it gets, yeah, it stops getting stupidly hard. But New Game Plus was, was great fun. And then I got to an area that I was just like, this area is horrible and Pokemon's imminent. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call it a day. I had a wonderful time with Dark Souls. Definitely would be in my top 100 if we were doing this list again. Anyway, it's time to stop procrastinating and start podcastinating as we move on to our rankings. This week, we are starting with... Minty, Minty, can you please tell us what is your 97th favourite video game of all time? I'd love to.
2: Let's just think about the state of gaming these days. I'm with you. You have things like uh, video games.
1: Yeah, I've heard of them.
2: Right. And then sometimes if they're they're good, if they're successful, or if uh, if their developers and publishers are feeling particularly generous, they might give you some more stuff to play a few months down the line i think it's called oh it's called dlc isn't it downloadable content downloadable content yes my number 97 is probably the uh, probably proto dlc i was thinking about this on the way here what, what what can i classify this as and i think it's a it's a cross-platform expansion slash add-on
0: I mean, you would think that this is going to be such a niche game that it, there's
2: only one option, but it escapes me. It was just, it was just a game in, in the very physical sense of the word. In the, it came, it came on a cartridge, um, but there was there was no story, there was no sort of real individual game mechanics that. Uh, Are you just describing a box? <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> Oh, no. 97, <laughs> cardboard box. 97, the box that it came in. <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's quite appropriate for uh, for our pre-list banter this week because my number 97 is the sixth best-selling N64 game at five and a half million copies sold. It's Pokemon Stadium.
0: <gasps> oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. Like it was just a glorified add-on to Pokemon red, blue, and yellow. Absolutely, yeah. Because like it was just, oh, you can move your Pokemon from your game into the game into this game, see them in 3D, and uh use them to go through all the tournaments. You can go through the gym leader castle or tower or forest or whatever it was (laughs) because once you beat a pokemon game or once you beat a pokemon game back in the day Mm. there wasn't a huge amount of replayability no post-game content not really no because you could beat the elite four over and over again
0: yeah but i mean yeah pokemon gold and silver had a little bit of a little bit of post-game content just a uh, little yeah in the fact that it was the entire of pokemon red and blue as the content
2: yes thank you mr iwata oh my god yeah. More abuse. I'm loath to call it like a game. It was just, oh, bring your Pokemon over from a real Pokemon game. Let's do, let's, let's use them in 3D. Oh, and uh, once you do well with them, you can play on this uh, built-in emulator. Yes. Which has Dojo and Dodrio mode, which was... Playing it faster. Yeah, two times or three times faster. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Ah, because I mean, I, as, as obsessed as I was with Pokemon Red back, back when I had it, I didn't get my N64 until quite late, like sort of well beyond when I was still interested in Pokemon in that way. Um, so I, I never played Stadium, but that's a really like weird option to include, but it's, it's quite... Nice, considering the the original games are quite slow, I suppose, in in comparison to playing Stadium. Certainly, when it's just
2: pure battle.
0: Were there some mini games as well?
2: There were some party right. Party games. Yes. So, in addition to seeing the Pokemon that you've raised um, in glorious at the time, 3D, mm. you also had little mini games. Which oh, what was there? There was there was Voltorb charge. There was Magikarp jump. Classic. There was a game where you were in a sushi shop and you were a terrible Lickitung.
1: <laughs> that
0: needs to get a spin-off.
1: A game called uh, Pokemon Let's Go Terrible Lickitung.
0: I definitely would have bought that if it was
1: a third <laughs>
2: option. <laughs> oh, there was a ring toss with Diglett. Of course there was. Where you just had a...
1: Ring toss with condom.
2: You had an Ekans <laughs> as a as an Ouroboros and you were just flicking them onto uh, onto the diglets. I
0: mean it just sounds like animal abuse. It does a bit, yeah, but but no, no, more so than you know cockfighting, which is essentially what Pokemon is. But the game in- encourages you to uh, to care and invest emotionally in the cock. <laughs> 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 oh, Lord. So I, yeah, I mean, I never had Pokemon, well, I never had an N64, but I didn't really see the appeal of Pokemon Stadium 1 or indeed Pokemon Stadium 2. However, I did really enjoy playing Pokemon Coliseum on the GameCube, which was the sort of sequel to Pokemon Stadium 2, but it had a full kind of 3D adventure story mode in it as well. Yeah, and some kind of good bonus features that you could sort of bring back into your game and kind of actually... Was
1: Colosseum tied to Gale of Darkness, the XD one as well?
0: That was the sequel sequel. to... Yeah, Yeah. so it's essentially Pokemon Colosseum 2. Both in the same
2: region, the same universe, the same mythos.
0: Yeah, same lore. Because I bought Gale of Darkness not too long ago, and then realized I would never play it, and I sold it to some absolute fanatic who lives on the other side of the country. It's very expensive as well. I sold it to you, Chris.
1: Did you sell it to me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you think, say, Didn't I? I, th- I honestly, now, now you're saying it, I think you're right. Because I, I bought <laughs> a couple of GameCube games for you, didn't I? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, Pokemon Stadium, proto DLC, and a nice way of bringing a little bit more life into Pokemon Red and Blue.
0: Moving on, we have my game. There was a very interesting period in gaming, sort of around the 32-bit, 64-bit hardware kind of time. It's like the case with all consoles. All consoles get to a point where you kind of reach the absolute sort of maximum you can sort of get out of it, and so you get games right coming right at the end of kind of a console's life that um, were just really pushing its hardware to its, to its absolute limit. And around about the time when the N64 came out and Super Mario 64 came out and 3D was kind of like, yep, yeah, this is This is real. Consoles like the Saturn and the PlayStation were still kind of really, you know, pretending that they could do proper 3D. And the Saturn especially... Was uh, really trying a lot harder than the PlayStation because the Saturn was not built as a 3D machine. It was built as a really, really powerful 2D machine. And then when they kind of, once they got wind of what Sony were doing with the PlayStation, they basically just like chucked in an extra bit so that it could kind of do some 3D stuff.
1: It really is like incredible slapdash hardware, isn't it? <laughs> like the, the way the Saturn came together when you when you read up on kind of the history of it. It was just like such a bungled launch. The whole thing.
0: So when the Saturn actually had kind of some decent 3D stuff, it was it was really quite impressive. And the first time I saw 3D akin to what I thought like it was like Super Mario 64 was uh, a mode in Sonic Jam that came out. Sonic Jam was a compilation of uh, Sonic One to and sonic and knuckles but it also had this like 3d museum that you could sort of run around in and do some things and it was like a 3d little green hill zone sort of like arena uh, and you were a 3d sonic and that was amazing the developers were clearly going went oh well we can do this so what can we make a full game uh, with this and the answer is this game (gasps) sonic R. Oh. oh, the
2: racing game. <laughs>
0: this
1: this is <laughs> such a joyous title.
0: So Sonic R was a 3D racing game on the Saturn where you played as different Sonic characters and you ran around various different tracks that were sort of based around various different levels from Sonic games. From a technical aspect, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, just how hard it must have been to actually Get that performance out of the Saturn. But it was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it looks amazing.
1: It's 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 a stunner.
0: And I remember me and my brother we rented it out of Blockbuster or somewhere that was renting out Saturn games back then. Do you remember Blockbuster? Oh, rest in peace. Yeah, we managed to sort of play through a couple of levels before we had to kind of return it, and it was it was just mind blowing. And I really loved the kind of unlocking aspect of it as well. So it wasn't just racing, because I'd play you know, played like Mario Kart and stuff like that, or played racing games and it was like yeah okay yeah you race and you win and that's it Mm. but with sonic r there was like you had to find like little hidden routes to get like hidden tokens and that would unlock stuff and then occasionally you would unlock a super version of all the characters i think it was like yeah it was like mecha sonic Mm. mecha tales which wasn't actually a robot but actually a a, a, a soft toy.
1: Yeah, it was like a possessed voodoo doll. Almost, it looked like. Ooh. Yeah,
0: really weird. Now, I, now I think about it, very creepy. And with like a lot of old games, you didn't really have a sense of like your progression until you sort of something was unlocked and because like we didn't have the internet like we didn't know that for sure that that's how you did it it was like something a friend had told us yeah. or like something we like, read in a magazine and then you think all oh, right okay I'll do this I'll do this and you, and you get to it and then oh it actually you know actually loads up and running against this metal hedgehog and oh it was the best but i mean just absolutely just brilliant design really cool design of like tracks really interesting routes it was the first time where i'd played a game that wasn't didn't have just one route around it it was had like multiple routes and hidden routes and sort of going across multiple levels and multiple sort of like platforms and
2: stuff oh it was just extraordinary i think video games before the internet those were the halcyon days because there was a real sense of achievement when you managed to unlock something yeah just because you couldn't be like oh well i've heard about this let's look it up on the internet i remember i was playing mortal kombat 3 and because i had nobody to play with i just used to play versus mode and plug a second controller in and just beat them as they just stood there
0: oh that's that's (laughs) tough.
2: but i did it so much that i unlocked smoke and i think like this this will tell you how lonely I was. I, don't know. Um, I think you only unlocked him after about 100 flawless victories <laughs> in versus mode. Oh my. I, I used to play as Reptile. I'd send out a force ball and an uppercut and I just remember as soon as the last one connected the, the text came up on screen. Player 1 get ready. And I immediately turned it off because I was terrified. <laughs>
0: understandably so yeah
1: before you before you start talking there's one really important thing you haven't talked about for Sonic R is it the music Uh, of course it's the music
0: so yeah the music was actually less of a soundtrack it was it was an album of songs
1: (laughs) it was and it's full-on like screaming 90s euro pop
0: it is yeah everybody's supersonic racing try to keep your feet right on the ground When you're supersonic racing, there's no No time time to look around. Everybody. Quite wonderfully, here is a massive tangent. If you bought the Sega Saturn theme for the new Nintendo 3DS that made then the menu system look like a Sega Saturn, it would play an instrumental version of Supersonic Racing as the background music. <laughs> did it really? Yep, Aww. it did, which made me thrilled. Lovely. But there was another one that was like living in the city, living in the city. You yeah. know
1: you have to survive. You've got
0: to keep the dream alive. Where Everything is free. Can't, Can't you, you see? see? Yeah, Sonic <laughs> R. An absolute gem of a game that will live perfectly in my memory. So, moving on to the final entry of our rankings this week, it is over to you, Chris.
1: Right, since you have both given uh, long, sprawling history lessons in the lead up to your your game choices this week,
2: <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> this this is kind of has the potential to to be similar at the start, but only because I think the context is really important for why this game stands out so much. Early 1990s, we're going back to the start of 90s again, and mainly because I want you to think about the idea of the Mega Drive and the SNES or the SNES being at kind of loggerheads with each other, the sort of the, the height of the console war of the two. They were very different, mainly because kind of the attitude, I think, in how they were both marketed. Sega went with this kind of like really, you know, I've got ripped denim, I'm, I'm wearing my cap backwards, kind of that sort of early rad, cool dude sort of thing to try and sort of capture sort of, uh, you know, young teens and that sort of age. I can
0: definitely see the words cool, rad and dude written on a
1: whiteboard in the Sega boardroom. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, Nintendo sort of conversely, because they'd had the success with the, like the Famicom in, in Japan, like the family computer, it had more of a sense of kind of like a, a wholesomeness, I think, to, to their releases and their output. And they had a very different kind of image because of that and i think that's exemplified as well like the idea that you had sonic and mario as very different mascots yeah uh, both had kind of a very different feel sonic being more about kind of like the speed and attitude mario about kind of exploration and, and kind of and mushrooms yeah as, as the two console manufacturers started to kind of drift and and find comfort in their own strengths so you had the Snes would have a lot more kind of like slower rpgs or, or action adventures like um legend of zelda and stuff like that the mega drive got a lot more kind of like arcade inspired, sort of snappy, you know, almost like coin-op style games. And the, the game I want to talk about is kind of, it almost fuses those two styles, but in, in, in a way that hopefully you can see how it kind of bridges the gap, I guess. So I am talking about not this game, but it's sequel, but you have to okay. go through the first one to get to the second. The original Toe, Jam & Earl, uh, and my pick is going to be Toe, Jam & Earl 2, Panic on Funkatron.
0: Wow.
1: Ooh. So the first game was essentially kind of like a, basically like a roguelike. It was a top-down sort of adventure, had procedurally generated stages, um, items you'd collect that didn't reveal themselves until you'd use them. So it was all the kind of stuff that would tie into stuff we kind of recognize more in, in roguelikes now. But the thing that made it stand out was that it was much slower paced than a lot of Sega games but still had that kind of sense of like attitude. It really played on sort of the, the 90s aesthetic. It had a really heavy sort of bass soundtrack because of the Mega Drive sound chip that was a really like funky soundtrack. And the game itself, I'd, I'd give it like a 10 out of 10 for kind of the, the effort and the presentation, but it's not that great a game to play.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas the sequel went a totally different route and it was a, like a 2D platform game, essentially like a side scrolling adventure game. And it's it's legitimately, like, fantastic and still holds up really, really well today. It's got a much better look than the first game. It was a few years later. I think it came out about, like, 93, 94, something like that. So kind of like two, three years after the original. And the biggest difference was, like, the, the sprites themselves and the characters were, were much chunkier. The, the music was better. Everything just felt like a fuller package because it was, like you talk about, kind of consoles growing over time and, and developers understanding what they can do with it. It it got to the stage with the Mega Drive where it was, like, they knew the limitations and they could push it pretty far. And I think this could be, if we're talking about fruit-based characters... Yes. For Toe Jam and Earl, you've got Toe Jam, who's like a weird... I don't know, he's like a red pretzel thing. But Earl is essentially like Pugsy this idea of kind of a space hopper pair type hybrid but Pugsy if it had been designed by an actual illustrator rather than just <laughs> a, a programmer a scribbling on a napkin but I, th- I think why it stands out and, and why I really enjoy it now is that was the era of kind of like the mascot platformer the the era of kind of the 2d platform games that didn't necessarily had to have any substance to them it was just as long as you had like a character that smiled and, and tapped his foot when you stood still that was that was almost enough for, for a lot of games then but Toe Jam has real character, like the, the levels have almost like a surrealist vibe to them. And, and the basic premise of this game, different to the first, was that each stage has earthlings dotted around these, these massive levels that have kind of invaded or, or found themselves to, to Funkatron, the, the place that you live as Toe Jam and And you have to catch them in jars and then at the end of the level kind of hurl them in a big sack into a spaceship to send them back to earth. And it's got a real good sense of humour as well. Like it, it just... It has a lot more to it than I think a lot of games of that time did. Full of secrets. like It's full of kind of like hidden things. Most of the scenery you can interact with. Loads of collectibles. It's kind of, there's, there's a lot to do and a lot of variation in, in what is kind of a a straight game essentially and it has the one last thing that i think is really important to talk about is something called the hyper funk zone that anytime you accessed it you'd get a voice clip that went hyper funk zone excellent <laughs> which is like in embedded in my mind forever <laughs> and I, I would i would ask everyone to go watch a video if you haven't played it because it's it's essentially endless runners before they existed your character has automatic acceleration like across the page and you're just trying to avoid obstacles and collect bonuses for as long as you can before you're kind of then dumped back to the normal game but it's rendered everything as kind of squiggly lines so the characters are turned into these weird just mess of squiggles and all the background is as well and it's it just it doesn't look like anything else and it is like genuinely a real kind of thrill to play it's a massive game it's, it's really gorgeous to look at and it's really easy to play now as well if, if you've seen the mega drive collection for the ps4 or the xbox that's also coming to the switch in the in the next month or so people talk all the time online of kind of like games that are hidden gems but i think this is generally one that a lot of people remember the first game and have kind of like some fondness for that but I don't think the second game sold particularly well, or I don't think it's that kind of well-revered. And it really is something that I, I would very much encourage everyone to to give a go.
0: I didn't have a Mega Drive I, either. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that, whilst it fe- feels like I'm very familiar with the games, I, I never played, just simply because I've heard about them so much and they're classics and stuff. But
1: Like I said, I really would say that people should check it out. It's one um, the most so far, I think, out of my picks that i think holds up remarkably well to play today like there's no glaring holes in it
2: we've got it up on youtube in here and it it looks wonderful
1: yeah it's it's really a, a beautiful game
0: i mean it looks it doesn't look too dissimilar to something like rayman or something like that you know if if rayman had been made on the previous generation it probably would have looked like this
1: yeah i just i, I really love it as well because it kind of it leans into that sort of early sort of hip hop Culture as it was kind of starting to bleed into the mainstream. So you have like Toejam's got like big gold chains around his neck. Uh, and it's all built around, like I said, like a really like bass-heavy soundtrack. Yeah. Which again is definitely worth listening to.
0: Fantastic. Well, another ridiculously eclectic mix of games. This week we had
1: Pokemon Stadium. Then
0: we had Sonic R.
1: And finally ToeJam and L2, Colon, Panic on Funkatron. (laughs)
0: That brings this episode to a close, so if you have any comments or feedback or any questions you'd like us to answer, please do feel free to get in touch. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn.
1: You can find me on Twitter, at chaz_hodges. underscore
2: Hodges. Yeah, just find me on Instagram, Drunk Oliveanda.
0: Use the hashtag Our Three Cents, and please do join us next week for our number 96s. <laughs>